Welcome, everybody. This is GRE Bytes. My name is Davis. I'm an educator with over 10 years of experience. And I'm Orion, the founder of Stellar GRE. And we're here to bring you your weekly bite-sized episode on GRE prep and grad school admissions. Please check out our top-rated GRE self-study program at stellargre.com and use the code BITES for 10% off any membership. All right. So, Orion, you just recently got back from about a month in Japan. Uh, and I, as you know, we've conversed outside of the podcast, obviously. I have a special place in my heart for Jap- Japan and Japanese culture and traveled there many times in the past, also involving uh, my education, taking a group of students there. One thing um, anybody familiar with uh, riding on Japanese trains might notice sitting near the conductor's chair or car, and there are videos online we'll link to in the description below. Uh, they have a method called point and call where the the conductor, the director of the train will will point to different instruments or headings and say say whatever he's interested in or where they're going out loud as he physically points to it. And Japan is is famous for its uh, reduction in accidents uh, across the use of their extensive railroad systems and public transit. It's a it's a wonderful concept. Orion, as, as a psychologist, as an educator, and specifically within reference to the GRE and this idea of point and call, can you explain how it can be a powerful tool also uh, in test taking? Absolutely. I love Japan. It's like my favorite culture in the world. And I love the trains. It's like if you're into trains, it's one of the best train cultures in the world. The network of trains, both on the national and the local level, is just unparalleled. And the integration is phenomenal. It's a really cool experience, especially taking the Shinkansen, the bullet trains that go, I don't know, 250 miles an hour. It's like flying without leaving the ground. It's really, really cool. And they rapidly connect people from all these disparate parts of the country. Those trains have been operating for at least three decades. They've never had a serious accident. Like those trains have never derailed. They've never collided with another train, which is absolutely baffling and incredible if you think about it, especially considering that those trains are running like every three minutes to the second. Like the amount of logistical operations that go into running these trains is incredible. And um, obviously, if there are accidents, not only is that a terrible thing, but it's it slows everything down. It, it's like it messes with people's ability to get to where they need to go, and so many different lives are disrupted as a as a result. So, point and call is really cool. They implemented this system uh, a, a decade or so ago, and they saw an eighty five percent reduction in carelessness as a consequence of using this. It takes some getting used to because you kind of look like a maniac when you're doing it. You're pointing at everything in this really uh, exaggerated fashion. You're stating the obvious. You're basically saying out loud what you're looking at. You're describing it, um, and it it took some uh, it it took a little bit to overcome the resistance of some of the operators. But I th- I think that they cottoned onto it pretty quickly because of the obvious benefits that it tends to provide themselves and for others. Like as a as a person riding on the train, I'm glad that they're doing it. It's like that checklist manifesto with doctors where it's like some doctor said that, you know, if surgeons just did these 15 things and checked that they did them, it would reduce um, iatrogenic episodes significantly. But a lot of surgeons, well, I don't need to follow a checklist. Like if I were having open heart surgery, I would want my surgeon to be following that checklist and making sure that he's doing these things. 
Um, so it's the little things that tend to make a big difference, especially when you're working at those speeds. These are 250 miles and at that frequency every three minutes. So in that way, it's very much like the GRE. You do have to answer these questions in 90 seconds or less, and you have to do them one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. It's like not enough to just get it right once. You have to get it right consistently over and over and over again at very high speeds. And for that to occur, you do need help. Everybody needs help because we all have cognitive blind spots and attention can waver. I mean, reality is, reality can be very unkind. Like a person's attention at the right moment could waver once for a, for a second and create unfortunately, lifelong consequences for themselves and other people. So like the disjunct between the consequences of not paying attention and some, and like the rewards for paying attention are not balanced. And so what we're trying to do is avoid accidents. We're trying to avoid careless responding on the GRE. So just to kind of map this out, paint the picture for everybody. So as you mentioned, Orion, like an exaggerated gesture where you're pointing at your instruments and just reading out something as simple as a compass heading or uh, how fast you're going or when the next, what the next station is with an exaggerated arm movement and speaking it out loud while you're looking at the instrument, hearing yourself speaking it, it provides opportunities uh, for cognitive dissonance in the sense that if you accidentally have an attention slip, now you have both a, a physiological, you know, you're moving your body in space, you're saying it out loud, so you're activating muscles and brain pathways to speak the information, and you're hearing yourself speak while you're looking at it. So you've got all your different sensory systems engaged, pointing out the obvious, but what what this catches is it gives you five different ways to catch if there's a mistake. And then by doing this habitually as part of a general protocol, um, I loved what you said about doctors. I mean, I don't want to send anyone down a, a YouTube rabbit hole, but there's an alarming number of surgeons who leave instruments inside human bodies after they've given surgery. And I'm just imagining if there was like a point and call, like, let me look at the tray and point out, oh, where's that instrument, you know, before we, before we do this. Um, and, you know, in a much less serious way, but just as important um, in terms of studying how attention affects things for a student taking the GRE to get into the habit of using these cues and a protocol of visualizing, pointing with the pencil, looking at the screen down to your page uh, where you're doing your scratch work and back up, sub vocalizing so that you're not disrupting the you know testing environment, but you're still activating the mouth movement, creating these opportunities for for safe safeguard and checks. We do a lot of that. Yes, yeah, subvocal self talk is the master key when it comes to. Uh, reducing carelessness on the GRE, and it's a, a, a vital component of, of point and call as well. We talked about on a previous podcast, reducing transfer errors, and I talked about creating a unbroken loop where you point to the question on the, your scratch, you answer on your scratch paper, and you then point to its corresponding answer choice on the screen. And so you create this analog uh, continuity from your page to the screen to reduce that kind of thing. Again, when I take the test, I look like a maniac. I'm talking to myself, I'm gesturing wildly, but I do that because I understand that I'm the number one reason why I'm going to get a question wrong at this point. I got my strategy down. I know the formulas. If I miss a question, it's because I'm moving too fast or I'm skipping on some of these fail safes. And the point is you do them even when you don't think you need to. These conductors do that same. They, they're not amateurs. That's their job. Some of them have been 
driving trains for for years or decades. It's like just because you don't use your fail safes, that doesn't mean that there's going to be an accident. But almost always, when there's an accident, it's because someone didn't use their fail safes. So the the fail safes are only useful if you use them. And the idea here is when you think you don't need to use them or when you're most vulnerable and when you most need to use them. So the idea here is to just get in the habit of doing them whether you think you need to or not. Like the question of, do I need to do that? You should just remove that from your consciousness. It's not a useful question to you. It's just wasting time and you should do them anyway, regardless of that answer. Thank you, Ryan, for that uh, contextual application in the GRE and also the you know psychological resistance some people have to engaging in these things. Uh, and thank you everybody for tuning in. Um, we'll be back next week for another bite-sized episode of GRE Bites. If you have a topic you'd like discussed on a future episode, please reach out to us, let us know at stellargre at gmail.com. And if you're ready to take your prep to the next level, check out our top-rated GRE self-study program at stellargre.com. You can use the code Bites, B-I-T-E-S, for 10% off any and all memberships. Talk to you again soon.